This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. And hey, everybody, I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Well, we are so excited today that we have Chris York. Uh, Chris is the author of a brand new book coming out on October 4th called Set the Standard, The Antidote to Average. Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, where you work at and and your role there. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Um, uh, I serve as the chief market officer, chief executive for the market uh, here in Northwest Arkansas for Northwest Health. We've got five hospitals, 39 outpatient access points. Um, I've been here for about eight months now. Prior to that, I spent 15 years with Baylor Scott & White, specifically in the DFW market served as a a hospital president for a couple of the the Baylor legacy facilities. And and that was really uh, the time I spent in Dallas. And obviously we all have a a leadership journey that we're living out every day, but it was a lot of culmination that that took place during the 15 years in Dallas that really led to this book. So again, glad to be here with you all. Well, it's uh, wonderful to have you and uh, very excited to talk about your book. Well, let's just start with with some of the, I guess, the basic premise of what's wrong with being average. <laughs> well, um, interesting. Every hospital over the the last couple decades that I've gone to, you know, when you go in from a leadership perspective, one of the things I love to do early on is observe and learn and respect the culture, the legacy, the history of how that organization got to where it is. But I also like when you invariably we all go into these presentations with slide decks and there's trend charts and so forth. And I always like to ask the question, what's the benchmark on this? You know, there's different metrics that we're throwing up, whether it's quality of care, uh, finance, engagement, patient satisfaction, you name it. To me, if, if something is important enough for us to spend time monitoring and measuring, it's hopefully something we, we, we want to get better at, uh, but I always love to ask the question, what's the benchmark? And invariably, what I receive is, well, the organization average is X or the national average is Y. And I always just love to challenge ourselves from an organizational standpoint to say, well, what's the upper quartile or what's the top decile? And why aren't we shooting for that? Because there's no reason we shouldn't be. And, and quite honestly, after you reframe your perspective around what you are trying to accomplish, there's some beautiful things that begin to happen and you you gain, you kind of galvanize energy around if you're wanting to reduce mortality or um, you know, increase compliance with a sepsis bundle and, and the ER, those kind of things. Uh, beautiful things happen and ultimately the industry that we work in, when beautiful things happen, it really transpires uh, into a life-changing uh, event for our patients and their families. So uh, a lot more, uh, I guess, impetus to make sure that we're doing the very best that we can on a daily basis. So a lot of times, you know, and ourselves are included in this, all of our metrics, we do have that national mean, national average that shows up on our trend charts. Um, you know, sometimes we're above it, sometimes we're below it. Um, but, you know, the majority of us want to get to be above average uh, at the very least. But you're saying you should really set the bar a little higher. Um, why does setting the bar higher uh, 
make more of a difference, especially, I guess, to the organizations that maybe are, are still struggling to to get to the average? Well, and again, it, it's all about I, I have a mentor. Uh, he was my mentor. Uh, we started when I was 28 years old and I'm 53 now. and We still talk every couple of weeks. Um, he had a, a phrase that he would always share where your attention goes, your energy flows. And, and very true about anything that we're going to engage in life. Uh, from my perspective, I look at it. My wife is the person I love the most on the planet. And uh, even since I've been here at Northwest Health, we had a, a situation where we were, quite honestly, we were average uh, on this particular metric that we were looking at. And I went to our chief quality officer and I just asked, what are we doing to try to improve this? And the response that I got, even asking that question was, well, we're at the national average. And in my response to her kind of facetiously was, well, well, by all means, let's put that on a billboard and see who gets excited about coming here. And 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 I share the piece about my wife. Um, some people call it the mother test. Uh, for me, it's again, my wife is the person I love the most. And I want I don't want to just be OK if my wife needs care, if she's having a stroke or a heart attack. I don't want to just be OK with her going to a facility and receiving care. I want to be excited in that moment of, you know, frustration, anxiety, fear, whatever's going on, I want to be thankful that she's going to a place that I trust. And and that really, for me, and again, why get out of bed? I, I pose this question in the book, but why get out of bed in the morning to be average when there's so much more that we can accomplish in life? And again, the the opportunity we have on a daily basis from a healthcare standpoint to have a truly have an impact on people's lives is tremendous. And if we will go that extra mile, I, I was in a conversation with our ER director one time. Um, we were trying to shorten the time from uh, for stroke patients from door to needle. And we were looking at a lot of parallel tasking. Skip, you'll appreciate this. But we were looking at how, how many of these tasks can we do in parallel to shorten the time? And, and quite honestly, our time was average. Uh, we were running around 85 minutes and we were trying to get to 45 minutes uh, and you know, I just kind of jokingly told the team, like you know, every uh, minute that passes when someone's having a stroke, you lose two million brain cells. If I'm having a stroke and we, I came here right now, I might be in a deficit by the time we got the, the clot buster on board, just, you know, again, joking around. But I was having a conversation with our uh, ER director in the hallway. I ran into her one day and I was asking how that parallel tasking was going. And she explained to me what they were doing. They were making a lot of good progress. And she kind of said, I know you want us to be perfect. And I said, not perfect, but pretty close because we have that opportunity. And just a few weeks later, I ran into a there was a lady in our uh, uh, main lobby of the hospital. And I just asked if she was doing OK. <clears throat> she shares with me the story of her husband, who two days earlier had come in with an acute stroke. And he was getting ready to be discharged and she could not be more thankful. I didn't mention to her anything that we were doing from a process standpoint, but I went back and I shared that story with our team because those stories are powerful like that. And I shared with them, we've had a, without them even realizing it, the work that we've done around this shortening their, our door to needle time for our stroke patients has had a profound impact. Her husband was able to walk out that day and have a conversation with the three of us. You would you would not have known two days earlier that he had had a stroke and presented to our ER with paralysis. So it's those kind of things from my perspective. If we're going to be engaged in this, what I consider sacred work of healthcare, 
we got to give it everything we've got because people are depending upon us. And obviously, you know, when you when you look at a situation like that, hopefully that family, that couple is going to get to share share more anniversaries and birthdays and grandkids and all those kind of things and celebrate uh, those moments in life that they might not have otherwise had had we not been on top of our game. And there's literally, and I don't know, I'm sure you guys have those stories as well, but thousands upon thousands of stories that occur like that across the United States on a daily basis. Unfortunately, sometimes folks go home with, with deficits as opposed to returning to full functionality. I remember once a, a friend of mine telling me that average was, uh, you know, one person, uh, he, stick, he sticks one foot in a, in a pit of ice and the other foot in a campfire, but on the average, he feels pretty good. You know, and so, uh, you know, I really uh, I was reading a review on your book from a a professor at Stanford, I believe, and or Yale, maybe it was. And and they talked about you, how you spoke about a culture of love. And so when we use standard, I love the word standard. You can imagine in the world of performance improvement, that's the foundation for improvement science. And Mm -hmm. how do you think about the standard of your leadership and and what you expect from your leaders, not only the external performance that they give to the patients, but what about the standard that you have within your organization and the culture that you're trying to create and how you treat each other? Yeah, I love that question, Skip. Uh, Just for background, my wife is a neonatologist. Uh, Her mother before her was an oncology LPN for 42 years. Uh, So those ladies have been a tremendous blessing in my life personally, but also professionally. And the way and I've, I've seen them go on days where they go to work, they're super excited to engage in this ministry of healthcare, And I'm, I've seen them going to work on days where they were dreading getting up in the morning. I'm a firm believer that if, if and this is to your question about the standard from leadership, if from a leadership perspective, we make our top priority caring for the care team, and creating an environment where they've got the right resources and you know timing of everything from a care delivery standpoint is the way it should be. And again, we we prioritize caring for our care team. Great things flow out of that. Uh, the the two hospitals I served at with with Baylor Scott and White were incredibly uh, financially successful, but we rarely talked about finances. We talked a lot about how do we care for our team? How do we demonstrate love for one another. What does that look like? And not to get anyone, uh, you know, uncomfortable with the term love, because most people in my role or with my background with an MBA um, didn't learn a lot about caring for folks uh, in business school. And so the opportunity we have every day is to figure out how we create the best environment that we can for our care team, how we pour love and compassion out on them so that their tanks are full and when they have an interaction with patients or with family members, it's going to be a great one. You know, I have limited uh, clinical abilities and I used to scrub into the ORs uh, it, before there were laws against that. And, you know, I went through sterile training and so forth earlier in my career. I could probably take your blood pressure if I was in a pinch. Uh, but I share with our team, if, if you ever see me delivering patient care, please intercede on behalf of the patient because they're in much better hands with our care team than they are with me. Now, that said, when I get out of bed in the morning, one of my top priorities is making sure that we do a great job of creating the right kind of environment for our care team. And again, out of that, we can set high expectations, but people are going to perform so much better if they're in an environment where, they're, where they feel cared for, they're engaged, 
there's been different studies that show that people that are engaged are 40% more productive than people that are disengaged. And not that we do it for to, to tap into that discretionary effort that we're all carrying around, but to fundamentally create the right kind of environment that excellent healthcare uh, can be delivered on a consistent basis. And, you know, it, you think about the level of incivility that's crept into hospitals through the pandemic. And I know it's been tough on everyone, uh, but we've had a lot of, we had a lot of difficult conversations. You know, we have stop the line events from a safety perspective. I'm also a big proponent of stop the line events when, when incivility creeps into the hospital, because I don't, I don't care how good you are at what you do, whatever your specialty is, how much training you've had, how many cases you've done or seen of a certain type. If you're in, a, in an environment that is less than hospitable, you'll never be at the top of your game. And the, the more that we, from an administrative standpoint, a leadership perspective, can create that environment and give, a, give ourselves an opportunity to, to create excellence. I love the old Vince Lombardi quote, perfection's impossible, but if we chase perfection, we catch excellence. If we give ourselves an opportunity on a daily basis to catch excellence, again, we're having a, a tremendous impact on people's lives. And that, that really is over the course of two different facilities uh, that I worked at with Baylor Scott and White, taking that when I arrived, uh, you know, there were both of them were three-star hospitals on the, the CMS ranking uh, within a matter of the first hospital within three years, we became a five-star and the second hospital, it took 18 months and it was a bigger hospital, more competitive in market, that kind of thing. Uh, but if you create the right kind of environment, good things happen. And, and again, folks in my role, unfortunately, most often are chasing after what's the bottom line look like. The bottom line becomes a byproduct of creating a great environment for the care team. And, and again, it's um, happened over and over, uh, and which was really one of the reasons why colleagues encouraged me to, to write this book to begin with. So, Let's talk a little so bit more. Let me ask one more question. Sorry about that, Dr. Lancaster. You know, I was recently talking to a, a friend of mine, Dr. Edgar Shine and his son, Peter Shine, and we did a little interview with them called Future uh, Culture Scenario Planning. And I think it's fair to say that in the last two and a half years, uh, we've seen a lot of culture changes, whether whether we want to label it as the great resignation or. And we know that standards sometimes need to be evaluated and altered or updated. You know, has there been an evaluation from a leadership perspective as you think about how the culture seems to be? Um, adjusting and shifting literally beneath our feet. Uh, have you evaluated any of your standards out of curiosity? Yeah, for me, the and I, I refer to uh, team member engagement as the most important vital sign we take on the hospital or the clinic all year long. And, and I really try to look at our healthcare facilities as a patient. And that engagement score and the feedback that we get as a result of doing those engagement surveys, again, that's to me, that's the most important information that we have because it, it's a clear indicator as to whether or not your team is connected with what we're trying to accomplish on a daily basis. I mean, let's face it, with the exception of having a baby, no one's coming to the hospital for a fun reason. And even in that wonderful scenario of bringing life into the world, mom and dad are going to have different definitions of what fun looks like. So 
really every day is an opportunity for us to have an impact on someone's life. And if we don't have a team that's engaged, uh, we're going to miss the mark on that on a regular basis. But when you get to that point, and, and, there, and again, there's so many other wonderful things that happen when to think back to that Vince Lombardi quote, I used to, my, my son was a pretty well-renowned uh, football player uh, when he was playing. And I would share with him, the closer you work together as a team, doctors, nurses, therapists, techs, the closer we work together as a team, the closer we'll be able to push the envelope of perfection. But that really, from a standard standpoint, regardless of what's going on societally, uh, from a culture standpoint, that's to me, that's one of the greatest things that we can keep our eye on is what's the engagement level of our team. And, and I, I, I watched through the pandemic, my wife, uh, the organization that she worked for was having their providers do uh, wellness checks on a regular basis. It was just a quick survey. And she was strolling through our kitchen one day and just kind of nonchalantly mentioned, well, I'm at 86 percent greater risk of burnout than my peer group. Like time out. Let's let's have a conversation about this. And it, and it really did pertain to a lot of what was going on through the pandemic and, you know, great resignation, whatever you want to call it. We've seen a lot of folks that have either left the bedside or the exam table or they've become disenchanted with the work that's occurring there. And and again, I think the greatest thing that we can do from a leadership standpoint is infuse that energy and excitement and hopefully that recognition of how sacred that work is on a daily basis. So let's talk a little bit more uh, about your book. And incidentally, I also had a mentor from Baylor Scott and White when at my last uh, healthcare system that really talked about uh, setting the bar, uh, the bar high um, when you're when you're looking at your work and, and as opposed to just getting above average. Um, and the way he framed it was if you were just trying to get above average, you don't really change your processes too much. You maybe work a little harder. Um, but if you're really going to set the bar very high, then you got to fundamentally rethink how your processes are and, uh, you know, really engage and rethink uh, how you deliver the care. Uh, as an example, if I was, I'm a runner, and if I wanted to, you know, shave a couple of seconds off of my mile time, I would just train a little harder. Whereas if I wanted to shave, you know, a minute or try to break, you know, five minute, four minute mile time, I'm really going to have to go all in in doing that, uh, change the way I eat, change multiple lifestyle factors that would allow me to do that. Um, and so that was his point in that if we are going to just aim for average, we don't change too much. We'll try a little harder. And then more than likely, you're going to slip once you've achieved that goal. Uh, whereas if you set the bar really high, um, you're really going to have to fundamentally reshape how you deliver the care. Is that tell me a little bit more? I haven't read your book yet, but is that, uh, you know, does that tie into the way you think about setting the bar high? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's Quite honestly, it's easy to roll out of bed in the morning and be average. Most of the country is going to fall into that category. The the thing that excites me about what we get to do on a daily basis in healthcare again, it goes for me, it goes back to we're having a tangible impact on people's lives. And the better we are at our game, the more impact that we get to have. Uh, I remember it. it the ER or the, the last facility that I served at with Baylor Scott and White, we had a fantastic medical director. Um, I was walking through the ER one day and they were, we were trying to get our 
door to provider time down. It was a very busy ER level two trauma center. Uh, and it, we had gotten it down to six minutes, which was best in the healthcare system. Um, and our medical director just waved at me and said, hey, have you got a second? And I said, absolutely. We walk into his office and he's got this flow chart diagram. And he was excited out of his mind because he felt like they could take it from six minutes to four minutes door to provider time. And when you get in that kind of environment where people are excited, of, most people are throwing a party when they hit six minutes. He was out of his mind excited that they were going to be able to shave that down. He felt like they could hit four minutes and no one was pressuring them to hit four minutes. Another beautiful example at the first hospital I was at, served as president with Baylor Scott White, our patient satisfaction was very mediocre. And in particular, we had a leader, and this is this is the challenge, right, of figuring out where your leaders are that are going to embrace this mentality of average is unacceptable. And when we see mediocrity in the organization, we should be offended and figure out how to stamp it out as, as quickly as possible and really raise the bar to a higher level. Uh, but we had fairly mediocre patient experience scores. In our ambulatory surgery area, uh, we had a leader that really embraced this, started talking about how we can make a bigger impact, do discharge phone calls, uh, engage with the family uh, more often while they're in the waiting room, the loved ones having surgery. And they went on to have uh, three consecutive years where they won the Prescani Guardian of Excellence Award. And they went from average to consecutively winning the Prescani Guardian, Guardian of Excellence Award. And that really is, again, you, you think about the number, the thousands of people that went through their surgical experience and they were elated because of how processes were changed. And, and it's not always just the, the technical aspect of process improvement. It's also greet folks with a smile. I had a physician that uh, from corporate, he came to the hospital one day and he checked in at the, the reception desk and walked around to my office. And when he got to the office, he said it was really strange when I got here from the receptionist to everyone that I passed in the hallway, everyone smiled. And I just kind of chuckled with him. I'm like, we'll take that kind of weird. But it, it really, again, it, get, it gets back to what kind of culture are we creating on a daily basis? What expectations are we having on a daily basis? And, and we talk about that a lot. Again, we don't, at, at both of those hospitals and even where I'm at right now, we don't talk a whole lot about finances. We talk about how are we impacting people's lives? And when we get to that, you know, and I'm, I've got an industrial engineering background, so I'm all about process improvement, process design, and efficiency, um, and and that's great. But but there also has to, in parallel, there has to be that human element where we engage with with people, not as a a disease process, but as a, a father, mother, grandfather, grandfather, son, and daughter, and learn learn a little bit more about who they are and connect with them on a human level. So you said just a little while ago that a lot of times there's no pressure to go above average. Um, where should that pressure come from? You know, who sets, who is the person that sets the standard or, or the group that sets the standard of the organization to really get that um, pressure where it needs to be? Honestly, sometimes it comes from formal leaders. I'm a big, big believer that uh, I think it was John Maxwell that said everything rises and falls on leadership. Uh, and if if we're leading an organization that expects excellence, 
it's much more likely that we're going to experience and the patients are going to experience excellence. If we're an organization that is just kind of meandering along, the first hospital I went to, uh, we were getting ready to build a replacement facility. In the old facility, uh, it was a well-run community hospital. Uh, again, kind of average performance, but they, they had a mentality of just kind of hunker down, stay in the foxhole and hope to survive. Um, six months after I got there, we opened up a replacement facility and our leadership team brought that foxhole mentality of just hunker down and try to survive. And I shared with them the analogy of, you know, the healthcare systems just invested $200 million in this community. They've effectively given us the keys to a battleship and we should be on the offensive in terms of delivering excellence to, to people uh, in the community. And the, the, the word got out fairly quickly and the, the radius of our pull 80% of our patients at the old facility came with, from within about a 15-minute radius. At the new facility, after a couple of years, that radius was expanded to 45 minutes. People were driving past multiple other hospitals to come to our facility. Again, to go back to the, the physician that came to visit, it was really weird because everyone was smiling and greeting you. Uh, but it was a it was a different kind of environment. And it was, again, one that where people were in it. And this was the, the other thing that really happened uh, that was really cool. After we achieved five-star designation with CMS, we threw a party and celebrated with everyone. And I was talking to one of our nurses at the bedside and I didn't have to say it. She said, now we got to back it up. It wasn't enough just to hit five-star. Okay, our job is done. Let's relax. Our, one of our nurses at the bedside, and this is, this is where, in my opinion, leadership really has that transcendent power when you've got informal leaders like the this nurse who was at the bedside caring for four or five patients every shift when she's coming up and telling the hospital president now we got to back it up and maintain our five-star designation that's a that's a fun place to be and i i told uh our our teams at both of those facilities and many of you are going to look back uh at these this time in your career and really reminisce that it was more like a camelot time in your career because not everyone gets to experience this. The, you know, the, the air that our team was breathing was, to use a, a mountaineering analogy, it was thin air because not a lot of people are breathing that. But uh, everyone, in my opinion, uh, every hospital in the United States has the opportunity to breathe that thin air if they're willing to commit themselves to a journey of excellence and be unwavering and unwilling to acquiesce to mediocrity. Love that quote about now we have to back it up. It makes me think of a famous SEC football coach that y'all could probably figure out, but I won't mention <laughs> their name. But when they asked him what keeps him up at night, he didn't even blink. He said complacency. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, uh, being consistent is really hard, right? I mean, there's an old phrase that even a blind dog will trip over a bone every once in a while. But, right. you know, but being consistent is a really hard thing. And I think you made a really great point. Chris, about the social element of it. I remember talking to Dr. Shine and he said many times improvement people get content seduced with the technical and they give lip service to the social. But in healthcare, we are dealing with the most complicated socio-technical system perhaps on planet Earth. And and so you, you have to have that social element as that patient is traveling horizontally through the healthcare system. Uh, th this has been fantastic, Chris. Uh, th th thank you so much for uh, 
for coming on the podcast. We're excited. Your book's coming out on October 4th. Um, and we're just so excited that a, a leader in your role uh, running a large organization uh, is, you know, put your thoughts down on paper uh, to share with others about uh, how to set a standard for leader, how to condition people's behaviors and and how to kind of show us by example. So, you know, on, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, I, I just wanted to tell you thank you. And we're, we're just so grateful that you were willing to write this book. And and so hopefully I'll get to visit you sometime. I I have uh, both of my uh, kids uh, in that part of the country where you're at going to school. And so uh, you, you live in a beautiful part of the country, and we're really appreciative of your leadership. Well, thank you so much. It's been a joy to be with both of you today and just uh, talk a little bit about leadership. So thank you both. And thank you all for what you're doing. Have a great day, Chris. Thank you.